Show Sports at 590 The Fan. Ben Annis, Brian Gunning. Quarterbacks are going down like dominoes in the AFC North. Not good. Deshaun Watson out for the season. Joe Burrow departing a very important game for his uh, Bengals squadron yesterday as they lose the season series, get swept by the Baltimore Ravens. First game was week two of the season. That was the the broken Joe Burrow, uh, mm. Burrow. That was the leg injury. Yes. And then yesterday, after taking the lead, departs with the wrist injury. They're calling it a sprained wrist. There was a little conspiracy theory video going around at halftime. Mm-hmm. I guess it was happening before the game. Do most he, conspiracy theories get shown on the official broadcast? Yeah. <laughs> well, Joe Burrow showed up at the stadium <laughs> with what looked like a wrist brace. Yes. And he landed on the wrist. Like, it It was obviously in good enough shape that he looked pretty Joe Burrow-ish before he sure. departed the game. And, oh, God, if you were a Bengals fan, I can only imagine the pit in your stomach when you watched him try and throw a football on the sideline and – the the arm could only barely get past like 90 degrees mm-hmm. before he just like almost collapsed in pain. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's not a wrist. That's like a, that's an elbow. Like this guy's got Tommy John surgery on the horizon. So luckily for the Bengals, it's not that. But yeah, it didn't necessarily look good when you're talking about their meal ticket. That is the ultimate frustrating injury. I feel like not the hand specifically, but the injury where, and look, like he's a football player this deep into the season. I don't think he feels great everywhere else in his body, but where you can perform, but this one aspect of you is just holding holding you back. Like it's one thing if it's a knee or it's your back or it's your legs and you just physically can't move, you can't stand around out there, but to not be able to grip the football, because it's not even a shoulder issue, we don't think, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it's not the throwing issue. It is a hand thing and it's just that is the thing I can only imagine. Yeah, you forget how frustrated Bengals fans are. Like imagine what Joe Burrow is is sitting there thinking on the sideline. Uh, Jake Browning gets into the game and goes eight of fourteen to score a touchdown. Um, it's has a just, passer rating of ninety three and and ninety three point eight. Just quickly on backup quarterbacks, it's amazing how long they stick in my brains, or at least certain ones, because I I I know in my heart of hearts that it wasn't gonna be him because I've seen him broadcasting college games on my TV. Mm-hmm. But I was like, where's AJ McCarron? Why isn't he the right. backup for this yeah. team? Like it is weird how certain backups just stick in my brain, and I was wholly expecting who again. I've seen calling games on television this year, so I shouldn't have expected them. But I was like, yeah, why is it not A.J. McCarron? Jake Browning is an undrafted guy. Yeah. Is pushing 30 (laughs) in an NFL game. Yeah. For a team that matters. Uh I mean, there's two conversations we can have about backup quarterbacks. One is like, in this day and age where we've seen so many, again, meal ticket quarterbacks go down. And for the Bengals the way they started this season because of an injured Joe Burrow has left them very little wiggle room just to get into the playoffs. Should there be a renewed importance on having a capable backup quarterback? And secondly, again, we saw undrafted free agent Jake Browning in the football game. We've seen more of Tommy DeVito than we'd ever like to have seen in our entire lives. And now Tommy DeVito is the third quarterback, but like, look at some of the caliber of backup PJ Walker's no longer starting in Mm -hmm. Cleveland. They're going to go back to the rookie. Um, Nathan Rourke is... I was, is I was a, just going to say, what does it say about our sweet prince? He's a CFL most outstanding player. He's 25 years old. God, he really did pick the wrong franchise. Like, there's... there's 
guys third and fourth on the depth charter who are getting into regular season games and Nathan Moore can't sniff one. Yeah. I mean, part of the luck of the draw, right? Like part of it was going behind a franchise guy, a true franchise guy in Lawrence, but so much of it's luck of health too. And yeah, I remember talking to him about it leading into the season, having that exact question of why there and part of it was the offense. And yeah, it's uh, sometimes the luck of the draw. It's how, you know, careers are made and it's how careers don't get made on the other side of things sometimes. Yeah. Rough luck of the draw injury wise for the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, it does appear. All right, let's talk to Charles Davis, the NFL on CBS, NFL Network, on the call of Steelers-Browns uh, this weekend. How's it going, Charles? Good morning. Going well. Good morning to both of you. Uh, so Al Michaels got a, a nice, real game between two competitive teams that were battling it out uh, in the AFC North. And yeah, for a while there, it was a really, really good game until Joe Burrow once again went down due to, to injury. Um, and, and maybe they will survive with the, the undrafted free agent, Jake Browning, who didn't look uh, totally incompetent. But, I mean, there's so many significant quarterbacks that have gone down with injuries, and we've seen so many lesser light uh, backup quarterbacks. Should there be, like, a renewed importance on having a, a, a more than capable backup considering how many significant quarterbacks have gone down with injury this season? Yeah, there's always that renewed importance in it, and, you know, everybody always points to, well, the Eagles had Nick Foles the year that Carson Wentz went down. They won a Super Bowl. And what people have forgotten, because the story is so good, that Nick Foles' first half that he played against Atlanta, <laughs> they were thinking about, do we need another quarterback? And snapped it together and played well. So you're never quite sure in, in a lot of cases, but teams prioritize things differently. And then you have the salary cap. How much money have you put into your starting quarterback? Can you make the move for a backup quarterback to pay him the money you need to pay him to have him in that position where he will be that guy and you know, hey, if my starter goes down, I have a legit guy behind him. Think about how many years Russell Wilson was the Iron Man in Seattle and played at a, you know, a tremendous level. Can you remember who his backup quarterbacks were? Because no. they never had to confront it. <laughs> So we never talked about it, but he had guys like Austin Davis. I mean, they had these guys that if they'd had to play, they were dead in the water, but they made a, a conscious decision. We're going that direction, put our money in other places. And they were fortunate enough to get through it. Others, as we see here now, this, it, it comes into full focus now with Burrow. Jake Browning won a quarterback battle in preseason against an established former starter in the league in Trevor Simeon. You look at, Cleveland, who I have this weekend, they made a conscious decision to trade away Josh Dobbs because they thought Dorian Thompson Robinson played so well in preseason. He could be there too. The first time they had to use him this year was against Baltimore when Deshaun Watson couldn't play. That didn't go well. Hopefully he can play well now. So I'm with you, but the bottom line is it's hard to develop good quarterbacks to begin with. The idea that you have 32 legit starters and then 32 legit backups is almost folly. Yeah, it's, it, honestly, this conversation's got me thinking a lot about the Bills, right? Because you can point to a lot of other teams in the AFC, the juggernaut teams that we think of, and point to quarterback injuries that, that they've had, be it Burrow we're talking about or everything that happened with Tua last year. I mean, you know, Henny had to come in and, and not close out, but pick up some massive first downs for the Chiefs to, to make it to Super yeah. Bowls in years past. And, you know, we've talked here so much about about Buffalo's window and staying competitive. And I do wonder if part of the thing they've missed the most is not their window, but 
taking care of business while Josh Allen's been healthy because just the way the style he plays and you know no one's ever fully healthy in the NFL but he's had right. pretty good run of luck considering you know the the beating he he can take at times that's the thing I keep coming back to with this conversation is just and and hey you know I know it's not their year it doesn't look like they still have time to prove us wrong I guess but just the missed opportunity that it's been for the Bills with the relative run of health they've had from Allen well all these other you know big name quarterbacks are kind of dropping like flies over the past couple of years, including Lamar, who I didn't even mention in there. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I think they showed last night when Lamar Jackson's healthy, what Baltimore's record is versus when he's hurting out of the lineup and how abysmal it is. But the one thing we have to keep in mind, too, is, and you you made the really good point, no one's truly healthy, right? From, from the day you report to camp, the clock starts right away from 100% healthy to you know, and guys have to play through it the entire year. I'm not a doctor, not going to play one on radio, shouldn't, but I'm just going to tell you my humble opinion. Josh Allen hasn't been healthy for two years, mm. yet he's playing. Okay, he is playing through things. He's a tough guy. He takes pride in what he does. He's never going to admit it if he doesn't have to. But we, our crew did that Jets game last year in, in New Jersey. Remember late in the game when he threw the pass and he yeah. got hit in the arm yeah. and it was his elbow and he played the rest of last season. I don't think there was any question that he was playing through things and certain throws for him were diminished because of that. Mm. I think there's no question that he has a, a, a hurt right shoulder this year. I see it in, I see it in how he carries it. I see it in some of the throws he makes or doesn't make. Does he turn it loose with some fire on it at times? Absolutely. But that fourth down throw to Khalil Shakir, who's wide open, and Josh is moving out of the pocket, it's not that Josh doesn't have body control to, to, to throw on the run. He has plenty of that. Mm. He airmails that by 10 yards. I think there's definitely something wrong, but he's going to play through it, and you'll never hear him talk about it. Go back and watch the tapes after certain big plays and all. He's not high-fiving people. He's not lifting his shoulders, keeping it close to his body. But the big guy? continues to go out there and play. He has my full admiration for that, but he is not the same Josh Allen. I'm sure Ken Dorsey wishes. Like, Josh, can you at least, like, open the possibility of, like, that, that yeah, <laughs> the 11 picks are, are yeah, because of a shoulder injury? I'm, I'm sure he, he would have liked that before uh, he was summarily dismissed as the, the Bills OC. Yeah. Like, is there any... Well, I any, will say this. Go ahead. I will say this. I don't, think, I, don't think the injury, I don't think the injury can be blamed for all 11 interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how, how much of it is play calling? It, it, it's... it's it's decision. No, it's not play calling. It's yeah. decision making. Look, Ken Dorsey's taking the fall. Okay, he's taking the fall. Go and look at their numbers right now and tell me where an offensive coordinator is really falling down on the job. They're in the top five in almost every offensive category except for turnovers. Okay, so if, it's, if, if he's taking the hit mm-hmm. because of play calling this, that, and everything, I would disagree with that. If he's taking the hit because internally, maybe it's not working, right? Is there a personality clash? Is it is he not doing what the head coach wants him to do in terms of what he wants him to play call? You know, those sorts of things make sense. Numbers don't make sense, except for turnovers. And that ball's been turned over too many mm-hmm. times. Josh Allen is one of my favorite players in the league. He's one of the best players in the league. But no great quarterback should ever go have on his ledger I've never gone back-to-back games without turning it over. Yeah, it that really should never be on a great quarterback's ledger. Never. 
and that's where it is on Josh's. That's something that has to be figured out because we know we know the breathtakingly incredible plays he makes. We've seen that he's unbelievable. But when you keep putting the ball in harm's way and keep turning it over, you hurt your team, and that's not normal. Okay, and that's not something that he wants to do. But if they, if we want to blame that on Ken Dorsey. I think that's a bit, that's a bridge too far. I, other things, maybe internally, maybe they didn't like the personality. Maybe he and Josh. I don't know. All, I don't know, and I'm not even trying to put it mm. out there. All I'm saying is the numbers tell us it sure as heck getting the offense coordinator because their numbers are good. They're like third in the league in scoring. They're they're third, they're second in the league in third down percentage. They're fifth in total. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's it is interesting to you you know you mentioned that and I do wonder how much of it is just McDermott going okay if I got to go down I got to try something here because it does seem like there there might be some eyeballs pointed in his direction if this thing doesn't go well and you know I I realize sometimes in the league a, a coaching change can just be about you know not changing what you do but just the the feel of the team I mean you see everything going on with Antonio Pierce in Vegas there it's like he's guys riding the sixty four Chevy in the games he's looking great clearly the yeah. team loves him but. When it's a coordinator, I mean, to your point, like they're not revamping the offense midseason. It's not like this is a completely new mind coming in. It's the quarterback's coach taking over. Like, what does it do when a team changes a coordinator in season? Because, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say it's never happened, but it, it, it doesn't seem like something we see all all that often. No, we don't see it all that often, but sometimes you just have to have, and as you said, sometimes it's just a change that needs to be made. It's just a breath of fresh air. It's a different voice, different way. Your quarterback's coach going to offense coordinator is not a big stretch, not a big reach, especially one who has experience as a coordinator, as Joe Brady does, both in college and the NFL. He's a coordinator with Carolina as well. So this is you know, not something that is totally unusual. One of my favorite ones ever is one that no one talks about but it happened, and that was when John Fossil was the offensive coordinator for the, the, the Baltimore Ravens. And they made a change midseason and turned it over to, um, to Jim, um, Jim Caldwell, who was you know, the, later the head coach of the, the uh, Detroit Lions and, of course, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Midseason, they made that change. And it was a monster change. How did it culminate? They won a Super Bowl. So sometimes you got to go for it because, as you said, window closing, things aren't going well. And, again, Sean McDermott, I don't think he's going to come out and go, all right, here's exactly why I did it. I didn't like this, I didn't like this, I didn't like this. He just said, I thought I thought we needed to change. He just tries to move on. And maybe it is as simple as that. I don't know. But, you know, that's that, that's that old hire to fire, change to inspire. Maybe that's where we are right now. So, so we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. But the bottom line is, if they don't take care of the football and quit turning it over, that's a big part of the problem right there. Speaking of turnovers, Dorian Thompson-Robinson had three picks in his surprise start earlier this season, uh, uh, fifth-round pick from this this past NFL draft. And that was on short notice, right? It was like Deshaun Watson looked like he was going to play, and then all of a sudden not playing. I mean, there's a little bit more of a run-up for his second yeah. career start this weekend, Charles, in the in the game that you're going to be calling against the Steelers in a huge game uh, of AFC North importance with Deshaun Watson now out for the season. Is there reason to believe that th- this is going to be a different Dorian Thompson-Robinson after you know all that's gone on in Cleveland this past week? Yeah, I would say so for multiple reasons, and you, you've put a few of them out there. Let's take them quickly, um, kind of bit by bit. Our crew was fortunate enough or unfortunate as the way the game unfolded because – 
Baltimore blew out Cleveland in that one. But we were fortunate to have that game that week. And all week long, we knew about Deshaun Watson's injury. Everyone knew about it. And all week long, we were told he would play. In fact, when you do your meetings with teams, you know, we always everybody talks to the starting quarterback. So if the starting quarterback sits down with you, that's an indication, indication that they expect him to play. All right, because if they're not going to play, they will change it. We were with a team the previous year where we thought the starter was going to play, and the backup walked into the room, and that's how we found out the starter wasn't going to play. So that's how that part works. So we talked to Deshaun, and he assured us, blah, blah, blah. I went to practice on Friday, and he took almost no snaps. Dorian Thompson, Ron took all the snaps. And having done my homework, he took the majority of snaps that week. Deshaun Watson did not. And I saw Deshaun. I was like, hey, I thought you said you were going to go. He said, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And then right before the game, they make the decision he doesn't go. So the idea that Dorian Thompson Robinson was totally shocked that Sunday is, is folly. He took the majority of snaps that week. But mentally, he didn't think that he was going to play. He thought Deshaun Watson was going to play. He'd been assured Deshaun was going to go. This go-round, that's where you, as you pointed out, this is where it's different. Because all week long they've known Deshaun Watson is not going to play. This is a this is a whole different ramp up as you've suggested. So I think that he will play better. But I also think that the coaching staff will make sure that they try and emphasize every other aspect that's good of their offense, and make sure that they play around this young man and surround him, as opposed to having to play through the quarterback position, which is what you do with the better quarterbacks you have. That would be a, be a bad idea to, for him. I wouldn't be surprised if both teams run the ball upwards of 40 times in this game. It just kind of feels like that kind of a football game and see where we're going to get. But will he play better? Like you get real snarky here and say, well, you saw how he played before. Of course, better. (laughs) But I do think that his preparation mentally will help him play better. Because last time he prepared as a starter, but I will guarantee you, he thought, yeah, I'm still not going to play. Deshaun's going to play. And then when they walked into the locker room and said, well, Deshaun's out, you're in. He said, what, really? I am? And I think that that changed things. This week, he won't have that element of surprise, which is good. And I think he'll be much more comfortable when he trots out there for the first snap. Yeah, it'll be uh, quite the game to see. And yeah, for each team running at 40 yards or 40 times, that certainly feels uh, feels like a, a perfectly Steelers-Browns uh, game there. Uh, we have to ask <laughs> We does. have to ask about the Kelsey Bowl uh, on Monday. The, the, yeah. Uh, this this is Super Bowl rematch. I think most people have looked at these teams. Some people feel it about both teams. Some feel about one and not the other as, okay, it's been pretty good. You've taken care of your business, but I don't know that either team has looked at times like the juggernaut we maybe expect them to be. What's your read on, on this game coming up on Monday night? True. Everything you said, I'm co-signing on it. They haven't looked like the juggernauts. But they're experienced, they're savvy, they're mentally tough, they're physically tough, and they find ways to win most of the games. Okay, so we can pick holes at them like crazy, but we're picking holes at eight and one and seven and two teams. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so, so. Getting all pretty right. picky. So yeah, yeah. You don't have this. You don't have that. You don't have that. Yeah, but we just won again. So they find ways and they figure it out. Kansas City still hoping their their receivers develop. That's a big, big deal for them because everything cannot be on Travis Kelsey in every key situation, even though he seems to Houdini it pretty well. You've got to have other people who will make you pay and make those defenses spend time with them. Andy Reid addressed in his press conference this week. He said, yeah, you guys might not be seeing, but we're seeing it. We think these receivers are getting better. I don't know if that's his way of, of giving them confidence through the media 
I don't know if he really believes that. We will find out as we continue to go. For Philadelphia, I think it's, it's the health of Jalen Hurts. He's been playing hurt, no pun intended. And they just talked about yesterday they took the knee sleeve off because, remember, he had all those knee issues, and he feels healthier after that time off with their open week. So if that's the case, things get much better for Philadelphia because now your playbook gets a little bit more expanded because you've probably noticed they have not used the quarterback run game nearly as much this year because a lot of that is because you've been dinged up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, if that expands again, and I'm not talking about the brotherly shove or the tush push or anything like that. I'm talking about true quarterback runs, which help expand what they're doing. So we'll see. Both these teams have a chance to ramp up, but as we've noted, or at least as I've noted, <laughs> we can we can pick holes at both of them, but they're both right now leading the NFC and the AFC respectively. Yep. Yeah, and uh, could be headed for a collision course yet again in the Super Bowl. Charles, always a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Dave, thanks a lot, guys. You take care of yourselves, and we certainly hope that, that Mr. Rourke gets an opportunity at some point. But Honestly. You guys know what it's like with this, quarter, you know what it's like with this quarterbacking <laughs> thing. It's a very, very weird deal, and who likes whom and who likes what well, just how ta- he gets in. Start talking them you up know, in these meetings, Pritchard. Charles. I don't know if that's, like, if that's frowned upon. It's uh, <laughs> not exactly kosher in those meetings, but I don't know. Like Just for us, you can mention how, uh, listen, how good he'd play. Listen. If I go, if I go, I'll just walk in there and say, "Listen, in the name of Dieter Brock, will you give him a chance, please?" <laughs> please, thank you. From your mouth to God's ears. Right, See you, Charles. Be good. Yeah, you too, Charles Davis, NFL and CBS NFL Network. Man, who knows? Maybe Nathan Rourke can't make it work in the NFL. Okay, maybe. I, I, I know he made it work in three-down football, like mm-hmm. to the tune of most outstanding player, not most outstanding Canadian, no. most outstanding M-O-P. play. P. Oakville's own, 25 years old, right? Like there's also my friend because I've interviewed him and we <laughs> talked about Burlington and Oakville. And yeah, I mean, if you hit on him, there's a future potentially because he's not, you know, he's not 30. He's 20 freaking five. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe he's nothing. He had the standout highlight of the preseason. And, Patrick and Mahomes tweeted about it. Tommy DeVito's playing football games. Like, come on. I, uh, you'd, you'd never get him to say it. God, what I'd give for the truth serum of just like, hey, let's let's watch the all twenty two of Tommy DeVito. Tell me how you feel about him playing over you. (laughs) I mean, you want to talk about electric content? Like, yeah, if you could do a watch along with Nathan Rourke of (laughs) just a lot of that. (laughs) Nathan, the the invite is there. Anytime. Anytime. All right. Time now for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Boy, this is still making uh, waves on Twitter. Uh, Olivia Harlan-Decker tweeting out about you know her experiences as sideline reporters, as a sideline reporter on a, an NFL broadcast. Uh, Carissa Thompson, who's the halftime host of mm-hmm. Thursday Night Football, was on... Which is a great panel, by the way. I just want to add. I absolutely. thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, although it is... It does take me aback that Andre Whitworth makes me think Tom Segura's on the panel every Thursday. I'm like, he's there? Yeah. That's odd. No. And then it's, no, it's just no. a tackle. Yeah. Uh, Carissa Thompson, the host of that panel. Yes. She's done a lot of things throughout the course of her career. Um, she even hosts her own podcast. She was on Pardon My Take, though, this week, talking about, you know, maybe fudging the truth a little bit as a sideline reporter back in the day. 
and I've said this before, so I haven't been fired for saying it, but I'll say it again. I would make up the report sometimes because, A, the coach wouldn't come out at halftime or it was too late, and I was like, I didn't want to screw up the report, so I was like, I'm just going to make this up because, mm -hmm. first of all, no coach is going to get mad if I say, hey, we need to stop uh, hurting ourselves. We needed to be better on third down. We yep. need to stop turning the ball Pressure over. The quarterback. We need, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and do a better job of getting off the field. Like they're not going to correct me on that. Right. I'm like, it's fine. I'll it, just make up the report. Okay, a lot of for shame. How of, dare she? A lot of former, a lot of current sideline reporters. A lot of a lot of people with some takes on this bad boy. This is the Millie Vanilli of the sideline reporting world. They're like, how could she? Yeah, right. Uh, here's where I land on it. Yeah. I, I like. I can count on one hand and probably on like two fingers yeah. the number of times that I've seen like a halftime report from right. the sideline reporter who had a conversation with the head coach at halftime and relays that to the viewer. Mm -hmm. I've had like one or two instances where there's actual news to have been broken and yeah. something added to the broadcast. Mm -hmm. More often than not, it's exactly what Chris is talking about, where it's like, yeah, no, we got to play better in the second half or yeah, we got to keep it going. We got to keep doing what we were doing right. in the first half. I, I understand that it's yeah. Listen, there's a there's a distrust of of journalism, capital M media in 2023. Come on, do not do do not take Carissa Thompson talking about talking to um, Bill Belichick at halftime, trying to get a, whatever <laughs> cliche. Your guy. I mean, <laughs> to, to try to convey whatever cliche he said or didn't say to the the broadcast viewer to like reporting on Israel and Gaza. Like, come on, this is not the same thing. Yeah, I cannot, I I shouldn't say I can't believe if you are a sideline reporter, like your Tracy Wolfson, your Pam Olivers, I, I can understand them, you know, running to protect the shield and this isn't how, mm. I understand that, I, I can because, because from their perspective, if I'm not here to actually report, then what am I here to do? You know, maybe they don't have those jobs as long. Like, there are a lot of, I can understand why they're very defensive over that. Mm -hmm. But any person who does not do that job, I want you to be honest. Think to yourself, have you ever paid attention to what is happening when you hear that exact report of, oh, we heard this, that. Sometimes, to your point, sometimes you get a little, ooh, the field mm -hmm. train terrain. They're going to go to this type of cleat or whatever. Okay, or if yeah. there's an injury, right? An injury, yeah. always important. But come on, what are we doing here, people? Like, this is the most white noise of white noises that comes across broadcasts. And yeah, like, are people going to tie it to actual real journalism and reporting? Don't. They could not be further disconnected from the two things. So I cannot believe it. I, again, if you're somebody who does the job, I can understand you, like, being defensive about it. Mm -hmm. Anyone else in the world... I cannot believe being up in arms over this. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't say that my sensibilities were offended. Like I, I was okay with it. Like I, I really, I, I just, I do not get a lot of, a lot of content that I can use that in that in, increases my enjoyment level of the broadcast. Honestly, for most sideline reporting in any sport, in-game interviews, the only thing that I've found has added value is when they started doing the thing in baseball where they actually have shocker. That's I, where you would find enjoyment. Well, I mean, it's the only sport where you can actually do this, where you can have somebody wearing a live microphone mm -hmm. during the course of play when they're in the field. But yeah. even, you know, that, 
it's kind of run its course a little bit and you're not getting the most mm-hmm. out of that. You're not getting as much out of that as the initial, you know, just the the novelty of it yeah. when it was first introduced. But the, generally, you're not going to get, I, I, I would say, the best answers are the guys that don't give great answers at any point. But in the middle of a game, yeah, at halftime, you're, you're not going to get, you're not going to get much of anything from an NFL head coach. It's also interesting that that's, and like, you know, maybe this is more inside baseball than people want or care, but it's interesting that that's the tact of the NFL sideline reporter, right? Because, you know, you think when we have Sean or Cal Bukaskis or Sean Reynolds or whoever is, is working sidelines at like a leaf for a hockey game, it's normally like a little story about the game. It's not like yeah. I talked to X, Y, or Z. No, that's, that's the, the inter- content that's the that other like. interesting thing about it. Like, yeah, Sean McKenzie, I think of him, he does a lot of like equipment kind of based sure. stuff. It's his thing. I, I mean, I'm a gear geek. I love it. But it is interesting that in football, it's always like, we have to hear from God, the coach. What did he say? And it's like in hockey, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Look at this guy's stick. It's blue tonight. It's great. Uh, when we come back, we will get to an extended version of the Wake and Rake as we head uh, towards week 11 of the NFL season. Plus, we have the definitive answer from Patrick Mahomes. How many beers oh, to drink over the course of 18 holes to put you right in the sweet spot? We'll uh, discuss From his Kenny answer. Powers himself, yeah. <laughs> we'll discuss next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big couple of days for Las Vegas and uh, sporting news. Major League Baseball officially approving the A's move from Oakland to Las Vegas. They're going to play in Oakland next year and maybe the year beyond and maybe the year beyond. Mm. Like 2028, we're talking about them playing their first season in Las Vegas. You thought last season was depressing in Oakland? Like I'm, they uh, are on. going to play in Oakland in 2024 oh with God. like the explicit knowledge. Like last year, it was like, oh, it's, they're, they're yeah. likely to play. Now it's like, oh, the paper's been signed. You thought last year was depressing <laughs> watching the A's in Oakland. Uh, watch this year. Um, no, I I refuse yeah. flat out. Just just to be clear, I'm I'm good on watching Oakland A's games uh, that I'm not required to for work. It is very on brand for Vegas, though. The idea that there's like danger afoot in F1 and they're stealing things, like just mm. the criminal nature of like how Vegas was founded and everything, no. feels very on brand. Both of uh, both those stories. Yeah. I also a- saw. I told you this. Like I, the sphere. Mm-hmm. It, it's turning me in into like a thousand years old where I'm like, I don't know what's real anymore. Mm. I saw this picture of the sphere turned into a baseball. I'm and sure. They, is that real? Is that I, not? I don't know. I assume it's okay. real. Why I'm wouldn't just, it be real? I don't know. Although I don't know if the owners of the sphere can, a, can, can afford to even waste one second of sphere time, sphere time on something that is not. Yeah, it's not being paid for. So it's a good question. I don't know. It is. And it doesn't feel like John Fisher is ponying up $1 to put Las Vegas A's on the the Las Vegas sphere. Uh, And this is a complete 
uh, it's it's related to Vegas, but not anything we're about to talk about. But it is also uh, very on brand for the NHL to be like the Sphere as it's announcing that it can't pay any of its bills. Uh, that it's like the thought of them going there. This is very this is much like the NHL uh, unveiling their NFT collection earlier this week. It's right? Like, maybe just get ahead of the boat <laughs> next time instead of a hundred years behind. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, listen, I have a, a toe in a little bit of crypto, but not uh, like not a ton, but you NF- NFT guy. No, like I, I will say that <laughs> I can at least go to my grave knowing that I never bought the, a single NFT. The funniest part of NFTs to me was like, and it's not like I follow this person on any social platform, but it made its way into my world was like the guy who played, um, like, uh, you know, Home Improvement, the Tim Tim Allen show. It's like his neighbor, the beard guy, or not his neighbor, his like sidekick, the beard guy in the show. He put out a tweet being like, I'm not going to do NFTs, not for me. And it's like, was anyone clamoring mm. for this? NFTs, wild. Also, I didn't get in in it, but that's because I don't get involved in anything because I'm scared. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I, 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 do, I own no NFTs, so Congrats. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. That is actually going to be, I feel like that should be like a test. 20 years from now. It was just like a yeah. check-in. Just like, did you? Be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Put your hand up. Um, so Formula One, as we mentioned, it is, mm. is in Las Vegas as well. But a, a, a focus of the sporting world last couple of days in Las Vegas. We already mentioned the race is at a very bizarre time, 10 o'clock Pacific time. So 1 o'clock Eastern time. Because the people who care about the sport most should be kowtowed to, and they yeah. should have the, the sport that they want to watch at mm-hmm. the time they want to watch it. That's what should happen. And I don't think it's the worst time necessarily for the people of Las Vegas. The, the, There's no bad you, time you, in you Vegas. You go to Vegas. I mean, I will say starting a practice session at 3 in the morning is probably a little too late. I love it. Which is what happened today because <laughs> manhole covers are flying off. Um, seems like that would be something that you would want to address before the Formula One cars start driving over the manhole covers. But no, apparently not the case. Carlos Sainz in today's practice ran over one, and the cover flew into the bottom of his car, destroying his engine. It could have been a a really dangerous situation. He was fine. Seems not good, just to be perfectly honest. I don't, like, in my experience, manhole covers are very heavy, and the amount of... Do you have experience with them? Have Have you you never lifted a manhole cover before, or, like, never had... No, you never, like, seen one dislodge and, like, kind of kicked it over back onto the manhole? No, actually, I haven't. Oh, they're very... They're ridiculously I would imagine. I just was shocked with the confidence you spoke to that with, but now I know. They are... They're very heavy. So imagine the force it must have taken to lift it into the air and into your race car. Uh, Devastating force. Anyways... His engine was destroyed. He's been docked uh, 10 uh, grid places. How dare he? Yeah, uh, because he ran over the thing that he... <laughs> it's on the road that didn't they ex- built. expect to come flying up <laughs> into the bottom of his car. Um, but it's, it's been a yeah, rough go of it. The, the tickets haven't sold out because they were too expensive. Um, there's been some, some derision by the drivers about the race uh, course setup. Mm-hmm. They haven't been having... And then this happens where a car gets destroyed and by no fault of his own Carlos Sainz is docked 10 grid penalties. Now Liberty is the owner of Formula One and they've been responsible for not a resurgence, a surgence, especially in North America, but the the sports popularity and getting in bed with Netflix and the Mm -hmm. Drive to Survive series has been a hugely successful property for Formula One and is the reason why there is a, a race in Las Vegas for the first time in over 50 years and 
yeah, the, the, the popularity of the sport has grown leaps and bounds in North America. We know that in this country, but more specifically in the United States. But this has been, it's been a bit of a stubbing of the toe first couple of days of, of the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Toto Wolf, team principal at Mercedes. Alpha, leader of men. Took to the podium today after the practice was finally uh, done at, at 4 o'clock in the morning and, and defended some of the things that have happened this week. FB1, how can you even dare trying to uh, talk bad about an event that sets the new standards, new standards to everything? And, and then, you're, then you're speaking about a drain cover that's been undone that has happened before that's nothing it's fp1 give credit to the people that have set up this grand prix that have that have made this sport much bigger than it ever was you can have you ever spoken good about someone and written a good word you should about all these people that have been out here liberty has done an awesome job and just because in fp1 a drain cover has become undone we shouldn't be we shouldn't be moaning the car is broken that's really a shame for Carlos. It could have been it could have been dangerous. So between the FA and the track and everybody needs to analyze how we can make sure that this is not happening again. But talking here about the black eye for the sport on a Thursday evening, nobody watches that in European time anyway. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Who? That was him at the end. I I believe so. Oh, yeah. my, I I already God. was. Yeah, I was already in the tank for this man. Yeah, that at the that like the rant. The stepping of it, the the North Korean esque uh, praising your corporate overlords mm. that that's in and of itself. But just the exasperated ah, at the end, oh, that is a man near and dear to my heart. That is incredible. Yeah, he's obviously protecting the shield. And, you think and that's his prerogative? Full Rob. But honestly, he's one of the reasons why the sport has grown leaps and bounds in its popularity because he's not afraid to speak his mind. We know. Christian Horner, not afraid to speak his mind. Some uh, Mr. Ginger Spice for all you F1 watchers out there. These guys have big personalities. They're allowed to shine. Mm -hmm. uh, Toto Wolf is an absolute legend for anybody that's watched the Drive to Survive series. It's yeah, like him and, and Christian Horner are the two stars of that series. I mean, it's like honestly, the driver stuff is interesting, mm -hmm. but it's those two dudes and the forthrightness of which they speak is yeah. is part of the reason why it's been a breath of fresh air for people who are used to watch, watching North American pro sports. And we just talked about the cliches that we get out mm -hmm. of NFL head coaches. You rarely get cliches out of Total Wolf. And that's, again, the, the, the rest of the North American sporting world could learn a lot from F1 when it comes to the way those guys were allowed to speak their mind. Yes, I, I will say that if the only time I see it is, uh, and I'm not saying this is the case for Toto Wolf, but like if the only time you ever see it is when protecting the shield, yeah. it's like no one wants that. No, no one wants your mind to just be stenographer for liberty or yeah. whoever he, you're He speaking. did kind of like that also part, just gloss over. It's like, oh, and Carlos, he could have well, been that, seriously hurt. Yeah, in uh, a yeah, sport yeah, where seriously hurt generally, or I shouldn't yeah. say generally, but possibly means dead, yeah. that maybe we shouldn't just gloss over that. You're right. You want people speak in their minds i i cannot believe he was so, so open or i shouldn't even say open i feel like it was just like 
stream of consciousness that was coming out of him, but him going, nobody watches this anyways, <laughs> that part. So it's weird, right? Because like, he's protecting the shield, yeah, but also saying, who cares about this product? No yeah. one watches this well, part uh, of the shield. I mean, I it's practice. I don't know. We're man. talking about practice. It's on TV all the time. I yeah. don't think it's there for nobody to yeah. watch, but you're right. In the words of AI, we are talking about practice here, but the fact that we're talking about it means it matters. I... I just, I love the way he just so full bore goes for it. You're right. It is interesting that in a sport we're like, yeah, obviously like the drivers are stars, like for Stapp and Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys that people, people think of there for sure. Um, yeah. I just thought it was spectacular. spectacular I, so stuff. today, so today when like a piece of paint comes off and Sheldon Keith uh, off the blue line in the, the Leafs game, Sheldon Keith going, how dare you say this about the NHL, mm. Gary? He would never do this. I don't think you'd see that. So Honestly, yeah, it's just interesting. Maybe he has a screed directed towards you uh, in regards to how much he's enjoyed his Sheldon Swedish, yeah, his oh, Swedish oh, no. sojourn. I'd be pretty confident that I'm not saying everyone agrees with me on this, mm-hmm. but if you just like gave Sheldon Keefe uh, like a, printout of what I had to say about this Sweden trip, I bet there'd be a lot of co-signing going on. I got personally. A fe- I got a fella I disagree with. Oh. And I would know of which I speak. Now I'm I think I'm an outlier here. Okay. I don't drink beer on the golf course. Like I am a weirdo. You're, you're dude, lo- like, no, you, it's not weird. You're just you you think you're on tour. You're so locked no, in. No, I mean you are. You care golf. about your score. Like, you're locked in. I love me some beer, okay? Don't get that wrong. Don't get you, it twisted. You actually like you sold me beer. That's how much you love it. <laughs> I love beer. When I'm golfing, I'm golfing. When I'm drinking beer, I'm drinking beer. Okay. Uh, just just to be clear where I stand on the side of the ledger, I could do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. No problem. Like I've done it before. <laughs> but I will say that, yeah, it changes. You know, like I am trying to evaluate whether I'm getting better. And to me, the appeal of golf is chasing the, apple- the dragon. Yeah. It's like, is this going to be my day? Can I overcome? Can I put it no, together for four hours? Almost certainly no. But sometimes, yep. even this year, sometimes it happened for me. Patrick Mahomes not uh, in the same boat. He's in your boat. He's in the majority of, of golfers. Boat. No, I, look, I could play around a beer. Or <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not after I called it that. I can play around a golf without drinking beer. I do it often. But if somebody's like, hey, let's get some beers, I'm yeah. very much bo- on board with that. Uh, okay, Patrick Mahomes, if you guys ever tee it up. Play uh, around a beer. Is yeah. really good. <laughs> uh, here's uh, his thought on the matter as far as how many you should drink over the course of 18 holes. Four. Four to five. Okay. That's kind of where you get into that good zone. If you get any more <laughs> the than that, good zone. <laughs> if you get any more than that, that's when you start hitting people and fans everywhere. Of course, like he's talking about playing, yeah, in these <laughs> celebrity pro ams or whatever. Uh, <laughs> How much golf does he play that he only thinks there's fans around? Yeah. I guess when you're Mahomes, if you're right. like anywhere, it's a bit of an event. But. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, how do you how do you feel about like as as someone who has more experience drinking yeah. beer on the golf course than me? Like I have done it. It's not to say that I've never. Yeah. Uh, drank beer on the golf course. It's just not something that I you do live routinely. in prohibition times. Uh, yeah. No, I think that, yeah, sure. That sounds like about right. You get two on the front, two on the back or one and three or three and one or however you want to do it. That sounds like a, a totally uh, good he number. He was promoting a light beer. So he's talking about four, four to five light beers. Which yeah, is, oh, I know. Th- There's a bullet of a, a particular color yeah. that he promotes <laughs> and I might have exactly that number as well. But that's the, I mean, this is a larger topic. I've done many all-star breaks getting through talking specifically just about beer, but you can't be drinking like a dark stout 
IPA mm. on the golf course. It has to be a, a lighter beer. Like, nobody here's, wants that. Here's the thing. I don't drink beer on the golf course. I understand that there is a certain amount of beer. Perfect that, sip. I, yeah, I, I know the swing oil. Like, I've, I've experienced swing oil, right? Like, it's happened <laughs> for me where I'm like, holy cow. Yeah, this is like I've never tried golfing with beta blockers, but this might be. You talk kinda... about it like Aaron Rodgers talks about ayahuasca. You're like, I know it. I've yeah. been around it. Yeah, it's so hard to stay <laughs> in that zone, though, right? Yeah. Like, and and find exactly what it is. To me, that's too many. Like in in my experience, it's literally one. Yeah, it's not one. I can guarantee you that. Like, so one like is maybe like... like one a nine for me. Okay, and hey. we're talking about tall cans too, right? To here? each their own. Like, yeah, those... tall cans. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I personally, if I can get it, prefer not a tall can because, generally speaking, hot on the golf course, mm-hmm, you want yeah. it to not be a koozie. Yeah, exactly. I do have one of those. Mm, out of my way. All right, time <laughs> now for the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book bet local. All right, we got uh, afternoon hockey action. <laughs> In Thanks Sweden, the okay, the, the Red Wings are the designated home team here, Maple Leafs and Red Wings, but naturally after losing in overtime mm. to Tim Stutzla's bunted-in goal uh, in the dying seconds of OT yesterday, the Red Wings on the back end of back-to-backs with Alex Lyon in goal are the underdogs today. Maple Leafs minus 128 with Ilya Samsonov in goal. I Listen, I, I, I know the Leafs are favored in every single game. And who the hell knows in Sweden? But give me yeah. the Leafs on kind of a short uh, favorite line, minus mm-hmm. 128. I like the Leafs. You nailed it with who the hell knows. But one thing I do know, chaos will rue the day in yeah. all these games. Over six and a half. You got to pay a bit of juice. Minus 133. That's the thing I'm far and away most confident in that one. The over hits six and a half goals. I'm, I'm with you 100%. Let's look ahead to week 11 of the NFL season. We just talked to Charles Davis, who's going to be on the call of another AFC North affair after we saw... The Ravens uh, solidify their spot atop this division. Steelers, Browns against uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson or Robson-Thompson. Like I'm, I, I'm never going to come to the microphone confident in exactly the mm-hmm. order in which his final two names are. Right. Uh, Browns, though, without Deshaun Watson, let's say. Uh, they are one-point favorites at home against the Steelers team that just keeps winning despite getting outgained and and uh, and outscored in the overall on the season. Oh man, this is a tough one and it's basically a pick'em. Thompson Robinson was so bad in his mm-hmm. first start. I am gonna lean towards the Browns here just because I mean you're talking about a couple of teams who play low scoring games, but I don't think he can be as bad as his first start. Okay, give me give me the Browns. Uh, in a spot where it feels like their season's over, them getting off the mat. Because a couple of times that's happened this season, and you know what? They haven't been dead yet. Yeah, and their running game and defense is good enough to beat just about anybody, kind of regardless of who they have under center. I'll follow you there. I don't have a lean on this. I just have to point out that the total for that game is 33, just to to get you ready for what they're expecting there. 33. I think think that's fair. Uh, Bills, uh, with a new offensive coordinator uh, with Josh Allen, under fire, rightly so, leading the NFL with his 11 interceptions, getting the return engagement against their division rival Jets in Orchard Park. The Bills' seven-point favorites. Uh, Buffalo 0-6 against the spread in their last six. They have failed to cover their last three against the Jets. 
I do look at this one. I know it's not the head coach, but mm-hmm. like this is going to get everybody's attention in Buffalo. Or, do we really? Bounce. I like. I get it. Like the Bills have underperformed and maybe yeah. missed their window. Are they really a sub five hundred team that's going to go zero and two against the Jets mm. in their season series after that opening loss in overtime where Aaron Rodgers goes down? No, g- give me the Bills in honestly a blowout. I I, I like the Bills. Uh, even minus seven in this one. I expect the Bills to win, but I don't expect them to cover. That Jets defense can turn over the ball. Josh Allen's dying to give it away. He's going to be trying to make things happen, and when you make things happen, sometimes the ball ends up in the other team's hands. So I I think the Jets cover in that one. It's happened more often than not for uh, Josh Allen. Boy, has it. All right, that was the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. When we come back... Nick Kiprios, a real Kipper and born as the Leafs get set to play their first of two games in Sweden this afternoon. It's the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.